Well, good morning. I'm Nick. It's my honor and uh, privilege to preach this morning. And today's verse is on the theme of love. For God so loved the world. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of a spoiler here. Oh, did we have another song? Oh, there we go. We might do it later. That's always the fun part of when you have your printout of what's on, on there, and that ends up being something different. That's good, because kind of on that theme, I chose my sermon on the theme of love during the advent of joy. Hmm. Anyways, spoiler alert, main point, you can depend on God's love. That's the, that's the message I want you to hear today, and it's like the classic Sunday school answer. You can depend on God because his love never fails or fades. Now, what I want for us today is to walk away with a new appreciation, with a newly anchored sense of God's love for us. Now, we know that with the Beatles, love, 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 love is all you need, right? That's a classic, great song. And recently, they came out with a new documentary on Disney+. Plus. I'm not advocating for Disney or anything like that, but I, I love the Beatles. And it's something that I just want, anytime something comes out, I watch it. So I jumped into this. I haven't finished it yet, so, you know, not, no spoilers here. But just to let you know that it's a documentary that's unlike anything that I've seen before. Essentially, what they did is they took the footage of the Beatles prepping for a concert. It was supposed to be made into a television show, which never did. They took all this raw footage, and they cut it together so that you could experience what it was like to see the Beatles in action as they prep for a concert. It is very interesting. Why then, this, this, this phrase, love is all you need, it sticks in your mind, it's a catchy song, but it's not just a catchy song because it gets stuck in your ear. It's kind of a phrase that we kind of fundamentally know there's something true to that. Love is foundational. It's so foundational that when somebody says that love is all you need, we don't all just go, no, that's not true. That's not like saying the moon is made out of cheese. That's beyond the pale. This resonates. It resonated when they wrote it, and it resonates today, but it didn't work. The Beatles broke up. And when you watch this documentary on them, you see the tension in them. You see the cracks that have formed in the group, and you know that the end is coming. How can we have this idea that love is all you need, and yet see that it doesn't work? I find myself wondering is it that love is not enough? Now, man, that would be heartbreaking news, wouldn't it? 
Love is supposed to be this unique thing in our lives, in our world. Love has this quality to it that no matter how much you give it away, it never runs out. Love is not restrained by quantity or quality. It's something that the more you pass on, the more it grows. And yet, things we love seem to fade away. There's this commercial. I tried to find it. I tried to find this old um, cell phone commercial with the phrase, when the love is gone, move on. It's this classic thing. You see it in the commercial, the person's holding their phone. It's cracked. It's beaten up. It's an older model. And they just chuck it away. And they get a new one. When the love is gone, move on. That seems to be a more common theme these days. We move through things and people and jobs so quickly. We have this sense that once we stop loving something, we are released from it. We can move on. But I think that that's a pretty tough way to live. Now, I used to, I used to have a... Oops, we'll go back. I used to have a bit of a problem. Um, we bought a RAV, Toyota RAV, uh, it was my dream vehicle because it was old and cheap. Uh, with old and cheap vehicles, though, you come with problems. And the one problem that the RAV had that was maybe a bit, bit more significant of a problem was that it had a leaking gas system. Now, the tank itself wasn't leaking, so we weren't spilling gas along the way, but the pipe leading down to the gas tank kind of shared the fuel with the rest of the world. And in Richmond, you don't pump your own gas. You have to let somebody else do it. And I hated this process because every time they would say, uh, excuse me, sir, your, your, your vehicle's leaking. And I'd look at them and I'd say, ah, uh, I know, just fill it. <laughs> now, I'm not somebody that just leaves a problem. I was like, I'm going to fix this myself. I went and bought a patch. I patched it, and it worked. It didn't, it didn't you know, leak or anything uh, until a few weeks later when the gas corroded through the patch, and then it started leaking again. Well, you know, I'm somebody who doesn't like to leave a problem, so I patched it again. And I did this about three or four times, and every single time it leaked again, over and over and over I thought that I could love this vehicle, that I could keep my love for this vehicle, but it didn't work. I got really, really irritated and frustrated, and eventually uh, my love for a cheap old vehicle became a, a bitterness towards a cheap old vehicle that I had to take into the shop and get fixed. We replaced all the stuff. It was expensive. It was probably more work than, more money that, than should have been put in the vehicle, but we did it. We sorted the problem out. The problem with this process of loving something and then unloving something is that it's corrosive. Just like with that gas. You can patch something, you can try and fix it temporarily, but eventually it leaks through again and again and again. When the love is gone, move on, is a process that eats away at us and others.
We need something that we can depend on because that process hurts. It hurts us. It hurts others. This process is corrosive. When was there a time when you fell out of love? When was there a time when maybe there was something with work that you had a passion for? You were in a project. You were in it to win it. And then it faded. And then work becomes this place that you dread. Work becomes this place that you don't want to go. Maybe this is happening in a hobby that you love. It's a hard process to go from loving something that you are interested in and get, and get joy from and then to have it slowly fade away. Or worst of all, maybe this is happening in your family or marriage. Maybe the corrosive nature of fading love is affecting you. Now for myself, uh, I think the way this hit me the most was in my academic pursuits. Now for me, I was kind of debating whether to go into ministry or to go into kind of teaching and uh, academics. And I kind of wanted to test this out. I wanted to see if I could do this. So I decided to go back to uh, college and do a second master's and to try and do a thesis. Now, my idea of what this would be like was very romantic in my head. And I had done a master's before, so I thought, you know, it's just doing a second one. shouldn't be that hard. Uh, I jump into the process, and what I slowly discovered was that the love for this was gone. The difference between doing my first master's and my second master's was love. And I didn't love it anymore. And even though I got what I was hoping to get in that process, so I, one of the things is I wrote a paper, and I had a teacher come up to me and say, you should publish this. I haven't seen this before. This is important stuff. You should try and get this published. And that just turned to ash in my mouth. I didn't even care. At that point, I had gone from love to apathy. And that's the opposite of love. So when you're thinking of between a dichotomy between two very different things, between love and hate, that's not the opposites. If you hate something, it's because you love something. The opposite of love is apathy. It's not caring. So when we go through this process, we reach a place where we don't care, where we can't muster enough energy or passion to do something, that's when the love is gone. And it happens to all of us. And this is not an intellectual problem. So it's not something that you can just kind of like think your way through, right? This is an issue of the heart. And that's why we turn to our Bibles. We turn to our Bibles because we know that when we have heart issues going on, we need to go to the one who made the heart. So God's love never fails or fades. It's greater in quality and quantity, and it's different from human love. That's what John 3.16 shows us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. You might be asking, prove it. 
you know, it doesn't always feel like God loves us. In fact, our experience of love and God might actually be in that apathy stage. Maybe we don't even care. But God's love is something different. Now, when we see this, for God so loved the world, that is an expansive love. Uh, I don't think I could say that I love the world, but even if I could say that I love the world, that doesn't have much bite to it. It's actually really easy words to say. Oh, yeah, I love everything and everyone. Ah, piece of cake. That kind of approach, that kind of thing that we saw in the 1960s, you know, something we approach um, might combine with what it was with the hippie movement of just peace and love. We can just love everything. You know why the hippie movement stopped? Why we kind of ran out of gas? It's because it's too hard. You can't love everything. You find things that you don't love. And to keep up that sort of love and interest in something is beyond us. And that's why it's so amazing that God loves the world is such a massive and expansive statement. It includes everything, and it has an action. Not just that God loves the world, but he enables a world-changing event by sending Jesus. This isn't just God saying, I love the world. This is God sending Jesus, someone who changes the world. Now, there's a lot of people that diff- uh, have different opinions on Christianity, but nobody would disagree with that statement, that Jesus changed the world. The impact and extent that Jesus enabled and created when he lived and died has had such a profound effect on the world that it is inconceivable to imagine it being any other way. That's why when you see things in fantasy movies, you know, for me, this is a bit of a pet peeve. So I love ancient literature. You go back and you read Gilgamesh epic and it's amazing. And do you know why I love it so much? It's because it's nothing like us. We wouldn't even comprehend this story as being a good story nowadays. If you had taken that and handed it in in your literature class and said, I wrote this, it's a, it's a novel, read it, you would fail. Nobody writes like this. You know why? It's because that was a different kind of people back then. And nowadays we write fantasy literature. You know what it is? It's modern people dressed up. It's our own modern perspectives and personalities and philosophies being played out on a fantasy stage. If you were to take Jesus out of the equation, our world would look like it did 2,000 years ago. It wouldn't have changed. Jesus changes the world. And so when God says that he loves the world, that comes with power, that comes with change. The powerful friend syndrome, though, is one of those effects that we've all experienced. Great, that's awesome, God's powerful, Jesus is powerful, but I'm not. What does that mean for me? 
Now, it's great having a powerful friend. I remember this one time uh, at camp. We, were, we had a kid in our cabin who was there because of community service. Uh, uh, that paints a picture there. He was a bit of a bully. He was taller and stronger than everyone else. He constantly got into fights. Uh, and he was in our cabin. But you know what was really great? Is that when, when other cabins came over to pull pranks or pick on us, we had him. And he flipped out and would chase people. And it was a great, powerful friend to have. Uh, but the problem with that is that that meant that we were powerless. We were powerless to stop him from doing anything as well, which was a different kind of problem. That's not the case that we have here with Christianity. This isn't what we have with Jesus. When we go to Romans 5, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This love that changes the world, that sends Jesus, is poured into you. When you follow, when you say, Jesus, I want to be on your team, when I want to follow in your footsteps, you get this powerful love that's given to you, poured out. The, the image is beautiful. It's overflowing. It's bountiful, expansive again. And when we say that the Spirit dwells in us, as Courtney was talking about, the Spirit of God dwells in us. You know what it means for somebody to dwell somewhere? When you dwell in your home, does that mean you don't do anything? You don't touch anything? You don't put anything in there? No. When you dwell in a house, you put your mark on it. You set it up the way that you like. You paint it the colors you want. You shape that home to fit your character and personality. And that's why when God dwells in you through the Spirit, you're being shaped to fit His character and personality. God isn't just a powerful friend that you have. He's one who's filling you up, dwelling in you, and shaping you. And all you have to do is say yes to him. All you have to do is open up and accept his guidance, accept his call. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. This isn't a love that is spoken only. It's a love that comes with force. That word compel, that is not a passive or still word. If God's love is something that leads to change, that leads to transformation, then it also has to lead to you being transformative and a change maker. We often get into this debate in politics between uh, whether or not this idea of being conservative, of trying to keep things the same, or maybe being liberal, trying to change everything. And both answers are always the wrong way to go because Christ is somebody who both brings change and dependence, brings foundation, brings strength. 
Now, we all have the ability to love. We all have momentum, just like Jesus' love. But what we often lack is the community to do this with. If we want to disrupt the cycle of this corrosive falling out of love process, then we need to tap into Jesus' love. Next time you feel like the love is failing or fading, what we need to do is we need to pray. We need to take that, that stance of asking God to open us up, to be open and willing in ourselves. We need to ask Jesus to expand our love. Not your time, not your energy, not your skill. These are all good things, and you can pray for those too. But what Jesus brings isn't just that you're going to be able to, you know, be smarter. You're not going to just be able to have way more time. And you're not going to be able to have just the, the unending energy. But what Jesus' love does is it expands. And we go back to that idea that love is something that you can give away, but it never runs out. And when you give Jesus' love away, it not only doesn't run out, it comes with powerful change and transformation. What I would like us to do then, individually, when we start experiencing that cycle, that running out of love, when you start feeling that uh, anger or frustration or apathy that comes with the, the stresses of life, take your time to pause and pray, Lord, expand my love. All we need is God's love because it's unfailing and unfading and it's not just passive and out there. It's in you and in your life. And you can depend on it. I think that's one of the most beautiful things that we have in Jesus and in Christ, is that we have somebody who we can depend on no matter what. Now, if you lived in the ancient world, if you were living the Gilgamesh epic, you would experience the fickleness of the gods who only did what was selfish and gain for them. They didn't care about people. They cared about their own position and privileges. And that's not God's love. That's not the God we serve. Now, we have a lot of insecurities in our lives, and we have some insecurity here at church as well. We have a building change that's coming up. This next season is going to be tough. And so the question we always ask ourselves at the beginning of a season is what is going to be our foundation? Just so you know, that's why we do Advent. That's why we do Easter. We have these traditions because they, they orient us towards having the proper foundation for the season. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is the proper foundation for the season of change that's coming to us at the South? And it's the powerful love of Christ. It's Christ's 
spirit and love dwelling in us as a church that needs to be the foundation. It's not the building. It's not the setup. It's not even the ministry. It's got to be Jesus. And so can we, as a community, take the time to prepare our hearts and minds for the season to come and to continually remind ourselves to pray that God would expand our love as a community. As the band comes up, I invite you to bow your heads with me and pray. Father, we thank you so much that we are truly a community founded on you. Lord, as we move into a season of disruption, of change, of the things that are hard, Lord, we ask that you would be our rock, that you would expand our love for one another and for our community. And we pray, Lord, that the transformation that comes with you dwelling in our hearts would be something that we could share and give to others. Lord, we know that there are tough times and there are good times. And we ask that through it all, you would hear us. Amen.